Blog Talk Radio. Tonight we'll go back in time to seasons past, when 22 men graced the record fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football History of Memorabilia on the Gridiron yeah. Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network. In conjunction with Swick Enterprises, and we're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Good Iron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Good Iron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Good Iron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150 plus years of football history. And memorabilia, you can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. It is at this time, I'd like to introduce my co-host, the senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larger. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Squires, Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Rare form today, Captain. Your football was, uh, I I gave it an attaboy. Outstanding. Nice job. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. And before we uh, get started, I I got another piece of news I want to pass, although not not overly pleasant, but I I do need to uh, talk about it um, real quick. A, another uh, longtime subscriber, original subscriber of Gridiron Grace Magazine, uh, David Lawrence, passed away relatively young also. He was only 70. I haven't talked to Dave in, in several years. He also bought and sold sports memorabilia, memorabilia on the side, uh, and sadly he passed away. I just found out about it this past week. So I'd like to express my condolences to the Lawrence family. Uh, he was a great guy. Uh, I enjoyed talking to him. I met him a couple times at the National. And uh, Javi's, again, lost another great person. All right, moving on, Joe. Let's, uh, I'm going to hand off to you. Let's look at some auctions that recently has oh. closed. Go for it. I'm so excited. I'm so excited, Captain. It's auction season. I think last uh, I think last show we were talking, you know, I was like, I love auction seasons. You know, when, whenever people are like, ah, oh, 
there's too many auctions going off. I can't track it. I'm the opposite. I love auction season. We got four big ones firing off here in the next week. Uh, REA, Robert Edward Auctions. Obviously, Brian Dwyer has been on the show before. And this Sunday, December 6th, a massive amount of uh, – obviously, REA puts their best foot forward. Uh, love of the game. Subscriber Gridiron Greats. Al Crisofoli's auction ended last week. Uh, great mm-hmm. auction. I had some consignments in there. Thank you, Al. Always exceeding my expectations and consignments. Uh, Mile High fires off next Thursday, a week from today, December 10th. Heritage uh, has three auctions that are ending December 10th, uh, 11th, 12th, and 13th. Then Leland's on December 11th. So, I mean, in five, in a five, uh, well, if you include Heritage, in a, uh, in a five-day span, four major auction houses firing off. REA, exactly. Mile High Heritage. And, and there's some amazing massive, stuff in all of them. Incredible stuff. Oh, absolutely. Incredible. Yeah, and we were talking before the show. It's just, it is unopened back because in, uh, you know, in REA is just a massive amount of unopened going all the way back to like, uh, man, they have, you know, in the seventies, let me grab my, uh, my bid list or, and my watch list here. But I mean, uh, it, you know, they've got some, uh, uh and 78, they have, uh, three unopened mm-hmm. wax boxes of 78, 78 cello, 81, a case, a factory sealed case of 81 rack packs. Uh, mm-hmm. A factory sealed case of 82 rack packs. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 1984 tops. The the set that's dear dear to my heart. Unopened wax boxes. 86, 2001 or 2000 Upper Deck SP, which has the uh, Tom Brady rookie card in it. Uh, a wax pack box of that. Just incredible. And uh, also, uh, I mean, it's worth mentioning since I've written an article in Gridiron about this, a bunch of high-end grade uh, 48 leaf cards. But uh, as I click on them, I'm just looking at how trimmed some of these are. It, it just it reminds me of just how sad this set has become, just uh, so many mm-hmm. trimmed mm-hmm. cards. Uh, but incredible. Yeah, you know, what, a, what a great option. We've, we've, talked about, we've talked about the trimming on the 48 being slapped for mm-hmm. numerous times over the years. And it and it's just still so prevalent, and it's a shame. It really is because you're not getting the real cart. And you know, again, yeah. I've always said I I prefer my 48 and 49 leaf sets because they're basically from poor condition to at the most X, nothing graded. But and then I tell a lot of people when I was putting that set together back in the 80s, I never saw near mint cards from 48 yeah. and 49 leaf. So how all of a sudden? In a 30-year period, did all these near-mint cards come come out of hiding? It's impossible. It truly is impossible. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. I don't know. It, it's it's not it's a good sad. situation it's, looking at. It's sad. And it, uh, literally, I'm looking at a PSA 7 Sid Luckman, you know, that half the right border is missing, a PSA 9 Bulldog Turner. And this Bulldog Turner has made it around the, made it around the hobby quite a few times. And it's just it's it, it it's the, the right borders miss it just it stuns me 10 years ago i was my wife used to call it uh you know catch and release because i was you know i'd order i'd buy all these raw cards and then i'd measure them with these you know digital calibers mm-hmm. i'd track them 
I mean, I knew the dimensions of cars, I, you know, and I'd get graded ones and I'd, you know, and I'd measure them in the case. So I, mean, I just had a spreadsheet of what measurements worked and what measurements didn't. And you just begin to get a feel for the set. Uh, and right. it's, it's, right. it's tough to learn all of these high-end trim cards. Like I said, the Bulldog Turner PSA 9, it's just makes me shake my head. And again, it was um, a situation, in my opinion, to say the least, that, you know, no matter what you do to try to educate people, they're still mesmerized with the condition of the card. They're mesmerized by the slab. And they're buying it, and that's it. And there's no questions asked. That's it. You know? What's the the old saying? You know, the registry is a hell of a drug. But but just some amazing auction firehouse. I mean, REA, like I said, a bunch of unopened, some great sets. We move on to Heritage. Uh, You know, just a tremendous amount of unopened. I mean, 76 Topps football wax packs box with unopened in it. Mm-hmm. 1976. That's really cool, uh, you know. And then uh, you know another 2000 upper deck, you know, one. It's just uh, some great unopened mid 80s, 78, 79, 80 uh, mm-hmm. mile high. Has uh, has some 86 and 78. It's it's just really cool to see a couple Tom Brady rookie cards. It's kind of interesting, just Tom Brady stuff that's hitting the market. Obviously, you know, he's getting it near the end of his career. It's interesting to me how back in the 80s, after the season was over, you couldn't give the wax boxes away. You know what I mean? And now all of a sudden, the value of them is just, you know, if I just, if I had the crystal ball, uh, I would be at the compound in uh, Palm Beach right now, rather than the compound in Wallingford. That's all I can say. Uh, you know, it's just... Just, just amazing to me to see where all these prices went. I, I can, I can, I can remember going to shows in the early '80s. I, dealers were willing to to sell you a a uh, return box of tops, whatever, for a nickel a pack, a dollar eighty a wax box. I still remember those days. And I always used to say, why don't you just break it open and get cards for inventory? And they say, well, I got, you know, I got ten thousand cards already. I don't need any more type of them. Just it just it just amazes me, truly amazes me. So yeah. evolution of the um, hobby, and I'm 40 yeah. years older than I, them, so it's much different today. So yeah, I got a couple articles I'm working on for for Gridiron. One of them is uh, a comparison of unopened wax, like you know 84 or 81 wax. You know, so I'll, I'll take like four or five and then compare it to the S and P or the uh, the Dow Jones how people would have done if they would have invested in football cards. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, obviously there's winners and losers. If you would have sank your entire fortune in the, you know, 89 tops thinking that was, you know, that was the big one that, you know, you would, you'd, you'd be, you'd be poor right now. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, I get 89, really the only wax box that wax box that still maintains values, the score, uh, per set, you can yep. sure find for five dollars a box somewhere. You can still find 89 tops that are show for $5 a box. There's really no value. And, uh, you know, 90, forget, even though, um, oh, no, Belichick is in the 91 person, not 90. 90 person, there's nothing. 90 tops, there's nothing. 90 score is even worse than, than the other two put together. So, uh, you know, then they jump the, the 10 years to that upper deck Brady rookie uh, 
wax box, and that's yep. about all. Uh, all that's there, in my opinion. Yep. Amazing. Yep. Yeah. One of the you we were talking before the show about something else. I was going through a lot of my old gridiron grades, and one thing that's always confused me. I, I was joking around with you, is you know it goes by volume and issue. So like vol, volume mm-hmm. seven or you know volume six issue twenty. Uh, you know we we have no idea. I mean what what number? So you you see a lot of people advertising in the back of gridiron grades like hey I'm looking for you know for issues one two three, uh, but the problem is the you know the issues don't really match what you know what the what numerically you know what number it is. Uh, Right. You know, it, right. Because of the volume thing. So I was like, well, how do I correlate that? So I started tracking them, which is, you know, when you, you, you know, which is why I was able to find that article about uh, you and the, what is it, Dan Goich? Dan Goich, yep, yep, yep. The band-aid the, um, card. The, uh, the, 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 tra- the traditional way of, of numbering was you, the volume is the year. And then you have you because it's a quarterly publications four issues in the year, and then you would do yeah. volume one one two three four then volume two number five so on and so forth. So uh, I know we're on issue seventy, and off the top of my head I don't remember what volume. Well, I'm probably seventeen. And it's going to be eighteen. Um, I got to pull it out. Volume nineteen number seventy, and then we'll be going into volume twenty. <laughs> So, and well, when did you take when did you take grid when did you take gridiron over? It was in two thousand eight, right? Uh, issue issue twenty three, which was the uh, winter issue of uh, two thousand eight two thousand nine. So Frank Frank Rose did issues one to twenty two, issues one two three and four are beyond rare, and then uh, there's some freeing up of issues five through twenty two, and uh, then twenty three up, with the exception. I'm actually getting low on on some of the issues right now. The AFL, the World Football League issue, uh, the issues with um, you guys did, uh, or John Spano did the uh, Mayos. Those issues yep, are John getting, and I. Yeah, John uh, and I wrote that. Yeah, yeah, they're getting uh, very yeah. very low. So um, as I, t- I tell anybody, if you want to fill in your back issues, now's the time to do it. But um, yeah, yeah, so we we've been. We've been publishing for 11 years now. It's been a long time. So, wow, yeah. In fact, we're getting, getting working on the uh, December issue, the, which will come out January 10th, the winter issue. And uh, I made a decision several years ago to, to mail it out after uh, Christmas and New Year's because it's just crazy in the post office trying to get anything out and get anything on time. Yeah. So it's just easier doing it that way. But uh, So we're working on that now. And... Uh, that's it. But get get back to the auctions again. It's it's pretty fascinating to see what's out there and how how hot unopened wax continues to be. And there's yeah. no, in my opinion, there's no way in the future it's going to cool down at all. No way. It's well, impossible. Not I mean, because if if you're you know of a collecting age, you know the most nostalgic thing you can think of is going to the you know going to the store, plopping down your nickel or your quarter and you know, buying a wax pack and opening it. I mean, so, it, you know, if we want to talk about what, you know, what takes us back in time, you know, it's the wax pack. So, I mean, you know, so you see a lot of collectors are doing it, but, you know, we've had Steve Hart, the owner of BBC, he, you know, on here, you know, and he was talking about just the process it takes to, you know, to authenticate, a, you know, you know, boxes. And, uh, 
and you know, and it, Steve's just one man, and he's the he's the, he's the guy who does it all. So, right, right, yeah. And you know, what's uh, I, I found it interesting uh, a while back. I know I, I mentioned it. I went to a local show that was outside here in uh, Orange. I picked up a handful of things, and um, one of the things I picked up because I felt sorry for the dealer. He had a bunch of unopened junk wax there which he ended up selling for $5 a box to me. So I bought a 91 Bowman, I think it's second series, 90 Pro set, and a 92 Skybox box for 15 bucks, $5 for each box. And I said to myself, I'm just going to just let it sit there. And uh, if, I, if the National ever comes closer, I'll just bring it with me and I'll uh, we'll use it as our junk uh, opening. But, uh, you know, how many how many hundreds of thousands of those boxes are out there for the junk wax box here. Oh. And, and, oh, you know, it's crazy. And it, and to pay 15 cents a pack, you know, to put it in perspective, less than 15 cents a pack for the cards is just crazy. It's truly crazy. Yeah. Unbelievable. No, and, Unbelievable. I mean, and, and it's like land. There's not much more being made. I mean, you're, you're not making the, you know, it anymore, you know, except yeah. in, you know, in an RV, you know, in uh, Pennsylvania where they're resealing stuff. But I mean, hopefully the experts are, you know, hopefully the experts are catching up. I, I have faith in Steve. And Hart, so you know, hopefully a, the one thing, the one thing I'm finding amazing too, is the real big run up in unopened wax boxes for Fleer team in action, uh, which again, you couldn't give that stuff away the next season uh, if you had it at a show. So the 77 through 88 yeah. clear teams in action wax boxes uh, are red hot. And it's just, uh, it's nice to see because that, that to me was always an overlooked set of the seventies and eighties, which was a lot of fun to collect. And there were nice small oh, sets. Nice. had an, had a fun uh, insert with the uh, sticker helmet or logo stickers. And uh, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. To say the least. Well, our yeah. guest is here. And I'd like to move on to that, and I'd like to introduce him at this time. I'd like to introduce our special guest, who's a Buffalo Bills fan since 1963, and he's been a collector of Buffalo Bills memorabilia since 1966. He's married with two grown-up daughters, so he hails from Texas. Mr. Joe Burden. Joe, welcome to the show this evening. <laughs> Hello, Bob, Joe. Great to be here. Hello, Thanks sir. Hey, I just want to touch on one thing that uh, Bob said about the 48-49 Leaf, uh, never seeing mint ones at a show. When I was going to the shows yeah. in the 70s, T206s, now it's baseball, but you didn't yeah. see any in more than four or five condition then. And then all of a sudden we have all these eights and nines that are kind of small. So it's it's about the same thing as you were saying. We didn't see them in the 70s and all of a sudden – there was a glut of near-perfect cards. I've heard many people say about the same thing, Joe. Is uh, you know, yeah, you didn't see perfect. These these PSA eight cards were created, you know, not made. Right. So. Yeah, they're 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 <laughs> a scarcity, a man-made scarcity. Let's put it that way. Well, I always say there was uh, somebody who hoarded the Leaf warehouse when they shut down, kept all the cards. And then as the years went on, he, he put them into the market in various conditions. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic when I say that, but, uh, you know. Yeah, exactly. Hey, man. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to find them. They're not there. 
They're just not there. If you saw my 48-leaf high numbers in football, you would die. I mean, you would just die to see the condition. They're, they're in horrible condition. I, if, if I have any of the high numbers in GVG, that's amazing. Most of mine are 40. Yeah, Bob, you, you know that's the whole card there, though, don't you? <laughs> Say that again. Oh, oh yeah, I said, yeah. You know, I, that, uh, yeah. You know it's a whole card there in your condition. All of it's still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it, to me, it's just amazing to see where do these cards come from. And when if I when I see a leaf high number in in seven or better, I just say forget it. It's just, that's bogus. Yeah. That's a bogus. I don't care what anybody says. But anyway, Joe, I'm gonna lead off. I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to hand off to you. Tell us and tell our audience how you became a fan of the Buffalo Bills. Well, my father was an avid football fan, and he was ecstatic when the Bills came to Buffalo in 1960. Uh, He bought season tickets in 1959 for $12.50. That included three (laughs) preseason games and six home games in uh, old War Memorial Stadium, the Rock Pile. So he started in 1960, and I started going with him in 1963 at the age of seven. Wow. We, uh, we, would, we would go eat breakfast, walk to the stadium. If it snowed, we shoveled off our own seats, and we, uh, we watched <laughs> the game. The, yep, that, in those days, that's what you did. Uh, he, he, bought, I love it. He, bought, he bought end zone seats because he said he liked to see the holes open up in the line, but I just think he was too cheap to get 50-yard line. So <laughs> that, that, that's where we sat until the stadium closed down and they moved over to Rich Stadium. Well, I'm, I'm not that's, ashamed to say. That's part of the bill. I, I'm not ashamed to we, say I've sat in the end zone numerous times because those were the only tickets I could afford. And believe me, right. they were up there. So I got a good sky view of things. So uh, I, I hear where you're coming from on that. <laughs> That's funny, Joe. We we used to have, my family had season tickets to the Seahawks. And we were like 30-yard line, third row. And I was always impressed that we were in third row. Uh, you know, how close to the action we were. But the problem was, is when, they, when the game happened and the, the players on the bench you know, stood up, you couldn't see anything, which was half the time there was somebody standing up. And I just began to realize, like, you know, if you talk to people later, I'm like, yeah, third row kind of sucked. You know, you, you kind of wanted to be up about 10 rows, you know, kind of funny. But, uh, oh, Joe, I got we to know. Were up, I, I, we were I, up about halfway, so we could see the whole game. We were in the open end of the baseball. It was where the box seats were for the baseball, you know, the – uh, down by the dugouts, and uh, this is long before nets for extra points. So they all, all the guys <laughs> clamor underneath there. <laughs> I always wanted to go down there, and he said, uh, you, "My father said, are you crazy? Those metal poles in between people bashing themselves for a dollar football doesn't make any sense." So, mm. but yeah, <laughs> those are those are some great memories in that stadium. I I didn't know any better. I thought football was like that all the all the time. So. Joe, I, 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 I first, I, I think I've told you this before, but I first uh, got introduced to you in about 2004, 2005, 
and it was uh, you reached out to me. I was new to the hobby. Uh, you know, I was active on the, you know, the CU, the PSA chat boards, but, um, you know, collecting the Hall of Fame rookie card set. But uh, a Mastro auction ended, and I mentioned that I bought a PSA 9 OJ Simpson rookie card, and you PM'd me. And then we had about a 45, you know, 50-minute phone call where you told me that, you know, you know, shilling was happening. Uh, but I, I have a really fond memory of you you're reaching out to a, a hobby newbie like me to just, uh, you know, hey, you know, how was your, your price on that? Do you think, you know, and just introduce me to, a, you know, the, uh, the underbelly of it, just, to, you know, open my eyes a little bit. I always appreciated that. Oh, yeah, I thought uh... – it was it was just a rumor at that time that Nashville and all those not more than a rumor the rumblings were happening that uh, some of the prices that they weren't able to see the bidders and I just wanted to just reach out to you you know you told me at the time I remember you said you thought you played well under your max bid so that was that was yeah. a good thing at and, yeah um, I'm I'm sure that. OJ card has gone about five, six times what you paid for it in 2005. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to, yeah. Uh, yeah. It has, I, uh, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of that 70s set is pretty good. Um, but you, you've mentioned a few times, you know, Jack Kemp, you know, just, you know, one of your, one of your favorite players, but you've uh, had a couple of experiences with him. Would you, you know, curious if you'd like to share that. Yeah, uh, obviously Jack Kemp uh, was a hundred dollar uh, waiver wire pickup by the Bills from San Diego and brought Buffalo the only two championships they ever had. So it was a pretty good hundred dollars that the Bills spent. Uh, my father was a, a a charter member of the Buffalo Bills Booster Club from '59, so they would have their booster meetings and they'd bring in you know guest players, whoever it was at the time. And the first time I ever got a look at Jack Kemp, and now I'm eight, seven, eight, nine years old, he reminded me of John F. Kennedy. And he was tall, yeah. perfect hair, elegant speaker. I mean, this guy, obviously, you know, the Buffalo Bills quarterback. So um, years later, my mother was the uh, vice president of the telephone union, and they would have fundraisers, uh, luncheons for, uh, you know, for the politics for him. And I got to meet him uh, many times in those meetings and talk to him about, have conversations with him about the Bills days. And uh, actually his son, Jeff, was just starting to play, which Mm -hmm. was another quarterback for a while. And uh, Jack, was a family friend for many years. Uh, every year he would remember us and send uh, Christmas cards to the family. So he had fun wow. always meeting him. Uh, obviously went on to be congressman and then uh, vice presidential candidate and uh, passed away way too young. So, yeah, that was one of my childhood, childhood idols in football, definitely. Kemp to me was always uh, he class act all the way. Um, what a great what a great guy, great player, uh, great for our society. Gave back in so many different ways. It's amazing, and that, you know it's so cool that you had that opportunity to to actually talk to him. Uh, to me, it's it's just great, truly great. Yeah, 
many Great. times he sat down. Of course, he'd, he'd go around to everybody, but once he got to know uh, that I was an avid football fan, uh, we we had brief conversations about it, and I always kidding him that uh, he's the only uh, quarterback that I knew that threw more interceptions than touchdowns, and everybody still liked him, so. That's great. Mm. Great guy. Classic. I could still picture a 65 uh, tall boy card, too, with the, yep. the, the, buff, the buffalo spread, atop, spread on top with the capital letters that uh, look yep. a good way. It's like a purple purple background. So cool. So so neat, to say the least. And that leads me to asking you, you grew up during the American Football League time frame while the Bills – won two American Football League championships during that time frame. And, again, a lot of people don't remember the AFL, and they don't remember that time frame where the Bills were really a very, very good team, and they were very, very competitive. They won. Do you have any memories from that era, any any stories, memories that occurred during that time frame? Oh, yeah. I mean, all of them, actually. Um we had season tickets throughout the 60s, and, of course, we went on uh, excursions uh, to New York City every other year and Cleveland or Pittsburgh if they played those. Uh, I remember the win over San Diego. The Mike Stratton mm-hmm. hit on Keith Lincoln. Um, the loss to Kansas City was a tough one. The loss to Kansas City in 65 for the chance to go to the first Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um of course, the uh, con- quarterback controversy always the Monica or Kemp's. Uh, when when Kemp had a bad game, the fans would chant, "We want La Monica." Uh, oh before he, he was traded to uh, to the Raiders, um, I can remember the the defenses that we had. Uh, my father always said that uh, if they had had the Super Bowl in '63 or '64, he thought that. Buffalo would have beat Green Bay with with the defense we had, um, you know, shutting out uh, San Diego and beating them uh, with just seven points the next year. Um, they, I can remember every starting player off the '64 defense, but I can't remember what I walked into a room for today though. But yeah, we we had many many good experiences in those years, and of course. Later in the '60s, there were some down years when uh, when we won one game, which was against the uh, Super Bowl champion Jets, and had the right mm-hmm. to draft O.J. Simpson that year. So, wow! The only game we, wow. we picked up we picked up name it five times to beat the Jets for our only win that year. Yeah, that was a, that was amazing. And that was the, that was the highlight of the, the basically the Jets uh, winning seasons because it's been fifty years that they've been in doldrums to say the least. You know what I mean? So it's uh, truly amazing if you think about it and go back. And again, we you know we we're we're pretty knowledgeable about the American Football League. Again, I grew up with it. Joe's learned a lot about it. We we all have a mutual friend of Todd Tobias who is Mister AFL, and uh, I do I do maintain the AFL held its own against the NFL 
um, during that time frame. They were very good players. They were very good teams. Absolutely. And, um, you know, if the Super Bowl was starting in 1960, I'm sure it would have been uh, 10 years of very uh, probably uh, parity between the two leagues. So uh, it's, it's amazing, really amazing to think about it. And it's so cool. You live it. The, innovation, the mm-hmm. innovation that happened in the AFL didn't happen until the NFL saw Kansas City and the motion. And, I mean, the the Minnesota was just stumped with all the motion that Kansas City was doing. And, of course, that was innovated back into the uh, into the NFL after that. And yeah. Name yeah. it beating the Colts. Uh, made the league legitimate. So people say that maybe Absolutely. Joe doesn't belong to the Hall of Fame because of his stats, but he changed the league and he, he deserves yep. all the athletes yep. that he gets. Couldn't agree more. And I got to watch it a couple times a year, so that was even more fun. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Joe, you, you mentioned I, a couple, you know, Bills teams, you know, winning championships and stuff, and I, I, I kind of wanted to – you know, bring something out a couple, a couple shows ago, I was telling Bob that I was in a store once and I saw a, a guy wearing a, you know, you know, Seattle Seahawks, 2005 NFC champions, you, you know, jacket. And I was like, Oh man, don't, don't wear a jacket bragging about being number two. Uh, <laughs> and and it, it brings up a point. Is it, you know, is it, is it, you know, are you good with making it to the show? You know, if you make it to the Super Bowl and lose, you still made it to the Super Bowl. The Bills are the only team to make it to the Super Bowl four times in a row. Super Bowl 25, 26, 27, 28 in 1990, 91, 92, 93. Losing to the Giants in 1990, 20 to 19 with the, uh, you know, the, the famous Bills saying, you know, wide right, you know, which reminds me of, you know, Ray Finkel, you know, from, Pet Detective, you know, Scott Norwood's last second field goal. Uh, 1991, losing to the Redskins, 37-24. 92, the Cowboys, 52-17. to That one wasn't quite as close. And the, in 93, the Cowboys, 30-13. to Are you, when you look back at going to the dance four times in a row, it, it, that's got to be very prideful, even though you lost them. How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean – you know, back in the 90s, I was here in Texas, so those two Super Bowl losses to Dallas, we won't talk about those right at the moment. Um, <laughs> it, it was no NFL package, so you're, you're streaming the scores live underneath. You know, there was no Thursday night game and Sunday night. Uh, you had one chance, you know, if you weren't on primetime, you know, at one or, or at four or Monday, you didn't see the game, so... Um, that made it tough. And then, of course, uh, living through four Super Bowl losses. Um, uh, by the fifth year, everybody was tired of seeing the Bills, and they were just hoping they wouldn't go back again. At the time, it's tough. But, you know, when you look back on it, I mean, what great teams that they had. Hall of Famers. Yeah. Uh, exciting, exciting innovative yeah. offense. Um, just. I went to Super Bowl 25 in Tampa. I was witness the wide right. So that one was a little bit, it was my only Super Bowl uh, appearance. And uh, it, that's a long ride home uh, after one of those. But, you know, it toughens you up. Um, we had a, uh, a game against Arizona a couple weeks ago, the Hale-Murray. 
And uh, after that game, after he, they completed that pass, I turned the TV off, and uh, Miriam said, "Aren't you? Aren't you? Hey, I, I, I lived through four Super Bowls. Nothing in sports could bother me now." So she didn't have to hide any of the sharp instruments in the house. It's like it, it was disgusting. <laughs> so. <laughs> living cool. here, we're living here with the two Dallas losses was tough because, of course, yeah. was, you know. Leading up to it, you're bragging that it's your team and we're going to win one this time, and then uh, to have both games not very close. But you know, over now over the years, thinking about them, it, man, it was a great run. It really was. That was a, that was a great football team, and uh, it, if they would have maybe kicked that, kicked that wide right, maybe would have went through. They might have won another one. So, do you think? Uh, do you think? Do you think in the 1990 Super Bowl, the Scott Norwood, do you think New Kids on the Block being the halftime entertainment had a factor? <laughs> yeah. Definitely. You had to bring that up. Yeah. Of the four Super Bowls, you had to bring yeah. up New Kids on the Block because that's what I tell everybody. You know the halftime show I saw? I'm not saying. I'm not telling you. <laughs> yeah. who, is, who is your favorite New Kid on the Block, Joe? Is it Danny or is it... You know, who is your favorite new kid on the block? Joe Squires, for sure. <laughs> That's a trick question. There is there is no favorite. <laughs> okay. Anyway, back, back to our regular scheduled program. Uh, I just, you know, that that was just a tangent. When I think of the Bills, I think of that. And it, 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 it which sucks, because what a great team. You know, Thurman Thomas, you know, Kelly, uh, yeah, it's tough. Andre Reid later. Andre Reid a little later, yep. Bruce Smith, yeah, yeah. Bruce Smith, yep. A lot of Hall of Famers on there, you know. Um, so obviously you're an avid collector. We, we, you know, we see you on, uh, you know, some chat rooms we belong to that we're all on, you know, vintage football uh, collector, VFC. And uh, what, what, are your, what are the things that are near and dear to you? What are your top five things in your collection? You know, that's – all of them are all of them that I collect are, are dear to me but uh, I went back to my old childhood collecting habits I, I dabbled with the registry and found out the, the registry is a powerful drug and uh, yeah. I went back to just raw sets from 1960 to 1970 Fleer Tops Philly um you know, I can still page through those and, and recognize most of the names in there. Um, a master set of the Jack Kemp, obviously. I mean, what what kind of Jack Kemp yep. fan would I have? Didn't have almost every Jack Kemp card. Um, Namath collection from '66 to '72, uh, with the glaring omission of of his '65 rookie, um, and of course all the. Uh, Bill's memorabilia that I, you know, kept or have gotten over the years, but just the, just the love of the of the seven of the AFL and the sixty through seventy area era that I grew up in. You know, everybody, you know, they 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 go to high school and they go off uh, to college or get married and they kind of leave all that stuff behind and then later on they we all pick it back up again. So there was some gap in years there. So. Um, I don't think I get back into it until uh, some shows, um, maybe 88, 89 when that boom came. 
But, uh, of course, now uh, a, a pretty healthy collection of uh, Josh Allen cards. That's that's dear to me right now. I guess whatever you're collecting, whatever you're collecting now is always in the forefront. Yeah. Kind of is. The 60 to 69 era to me is, is always the one. To me, it's my most favorite because I grew up in that time frame. And as everybody knows, I, my first packs I opened were 65 filling, 65 tops. And the, the impression those 65 tops make on you for your entire life, I could never, I never grow tired of that set. I just love that set. I love the size of those cards. I love, you know, the, the, the crispness of them, seeing the player. And, uh, I, you know, at that time, you read the back of the cards. You studied them. You memorized everything. And uh, just some just some great memories of of that time frame. So uh, yep. I definitely concur the, with the you color, that, that the time frame. The color of sixty five is unmatched. It's unmatched in any set, especially with that size. That color just pops. Yeah. Yep. But it, it's just the nineteen sixty Fleer card is the camp rookie, isn't it? Yes, nineteen sixty Fleer. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't start opening packs until '66, the, the year after it was the uh, TV tube year with the yep. with the, yep. the brown border. Yep. My, uh, yep. my favorite set of all time, obviously, because of that. But '63 uh, came and became a very uh, favorite for me going back and collecting that set. It was a small set, sixty-six cards, I think, with checklist. Uh, pretty easy to put together. Uh, yep. That that was a fun project. Very fun project. Yeah, the beautiful, hmm. beautiful time frame for cards. Mm-hmm. Joe, I know you lived in Texas. Um, have lived in Texas for a while, and especially during the Bills' glory years. You got any stories you can share with us about that time frame, especially from a Texas point of view, as far as? Uh, the Bills and uh, either their love-hate relationship down there? Um, it, it was awful hard to find Bills, uh, Bills apparel down here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if the, the Texas uh, – it's such a big Dallas, uh, Dallas cowboy, especially in the 90s. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it was yeah. – Ninety-nine percent cow. Of course, whether they were true fans or bandwagon jumpers, everything around here had nothing but Dallas on it. So, uh, no, it, it, it was uh, it was a lonely time in Texas to be a Bills fan. But I didn't didn't mind it a bit because I would never waver off the Bills. People ask, you know, how do you continue? Once you've got your team and you're a loyal fan, you are never jumping off to somewhere else. It just wouldn't feel right. Good on you. Good on you. Yep, I agree. About the only time you sway from your team is if they move cities, if if they sway from you. Right. And there was a talk that uh, John Bon Jovi was going to buy the Bills – before the owners now, and he was going to move it to Toronto, and uh, Buffalo was just not having any of it. It is a a very loyal football. We didn't have Major League Baseball at the time, and we didn't have a major hockey team. And we had a minor league hockey team and minor baseball. So when we got the Bills, that was Buffalo and still is today. 
yep. still is. I was. I, uh, I remember the push the to build the stadium back then too. I mean, uh, they were talking dome and everything. Uh, it still have things that say no more stow uh, football in the dome, and uh, you know, naming the stadium was going to be uh, a thing. We were we wanted it to be Bob Kelso Stadium uh, for the only. Uh, American football league player that died in the Vietnam War, and of course that that was the first start of uh, selling the rights to uh, to major corporations. Rich, rich Stadium, Rich was an ice cream and milk manufacturer in Buffalo. So, and now I guess it was talking again about you know trying to build another stadium. It's it's only been fifty years. It feels like yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, stationed exactly. in Orlando, Florida when I was in the Navy, I'm pretty sure I was only the only Seattle Seahawks fan in Orlando, you know, in the, in the early nineties, pretty much opposite end of the country from Seattle is, uh, you know, it's Florida. So it was, it was, it was always funny to walk around in Seahawk gear. Uh, primed. Uh, there's a, there's a question here. Goalpost restaurant. So I always like to do my well, homework before a show. Uh, yeah, I can fill you in on the goalpost. Uh, the goalpost. Well, hang on. Right. So, so I tried looking this up. <laughs> you know, I, I'm like goal. You know, because I, I like to do my homework on stuff. Obviously, I you know rattled off four Super Bowls. I didn't know New Kids on the Block played at halftime in 1990. I'm not sure if you remembered it. But, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, obviously, I looked that up. <laughs> I'm not that good, but so I tried looking goalpost restaurant up in Buffalo. Uh, in even in Dallas where you live now, I couldn't find anything. So I just I wrote WTF <laughs> next to Goalpost Restaurant after a couple of notes. So I'm just gonna <laughs> prime the pump here. What's up with Goalpost Restaurant there, Joe? Goalpost Restaurant was owned by Glenn Bass. He was a wide receiver for the Bills in the '60s. It was in Buffalo, and uh, the family, our family, would eat there from time to time, and a lot of the players would come in to uh, frequent it to, to pay, you know, to uh, help the restaurant get along. I do have a menu from that. I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, so, of course, being young, we'd go over there and say hi to the players and get autographs from them. And that's where I got my goalpost restaurant signed by Jack Kemp. So I have, I have proof that there was a goalpost restaurant in the signed menu from Jack Kemp. Um, we were standing in line, standing to get seated, and behind us was Ernie Warlick. Now, Ernie Warlick was a tight end for the Bills, and six, whatever, six, four, six, five, and I got to shake hands with Ernie Warlick, and his hands were as big as, I mean, imagine a nine-year-old being slipped into a catcher's mitt. That was me shaking hands with Ernie Warlick. That's pretty cool. But I will That's I will cool. post a I will post a picture of the goalpost restaurant uh, menu for you to show you that there really was one, and it has it actually has a play it has Glenn Bass catching a pass on the uh, the front of the menu just to uh, so that everybody know it's a, it's a Bills related uh, memorabilia. Hmm. All right. No That's wonder so I couldn't cool. find it. That is pretty cool. That's I didn't really know you cool. were prepping these questions. I should have caught you with a few anyways, but go ahead. <laughs> no, the, 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 the apprentice has become the master here. 
Mr. Brennan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it. So, uh, Joe, uh, bye. back on. Go ahead, Joe Squares. Go ahead. Oh, no, I just I have a couple couple funny, you know, a, a pseudo Joe quiz for for uh, for Joe too. When uh, when you're when you're done wrapping up there, Bob. All right. Okay. All right, so I got I got one more point for Joe. Uh, any suggestions for a beginning football card collector and football memorabilia yeah. collector? Yeah, I, I mean I tell everybody that's starting out or collecting. I I tell them the same thing. I tell them buy buy what you like, buy the best that you can afford. Don't try to compete with anyone. Uh, the registries. And most important, enjoy the hunt because that's the most fun of it is finding the cards to fill in your holes or add to your collection because yeah. it's always the next card that is is the best card. So just in, just enjoy it. It's just a hobby. Just just in, and 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 go about it that way. Just enjoy the hobby of it. Exactly. That's, hmm. that, that's the advice that I would give anybody. It's in it for a long time or just starting off. Remember that it's just a hobby. Very true. Like a lot it. of people forget that. They forget that. They think they're uh, they're in battle again or whatever. It's just uh, it's amazing to watch sometimes. To say the least. Joe, hand off. You know, great advice there, I, and I dig that. I always that always resonates with me. Uh, you know, just, and I got that advice from a guy very early on. I'm not sure if you remember him from the boards, Mark Dubbins, but, uh, just gave me the same advice. Yeah. Mad. He went by mad. Uh, he saw me buy a, like a PSA two card, you know, he's like, what the hell are you doing, dude? You have a really nice set, you know, don't, don't buy that crap. And, and, you know, he goes, just be patient. And it was just some of the best advice I got. So, all right. I, I have a, couple little things as I was doing my homework, but, you know, as I think of teams, I oftentimes compare them to my Seahawk greats. So a couple questions here, uh, you know, just a, a pseudo joke quiz, nothing really official. So just first thing that pops in your mind, uh, shout out the answer here, uh, Mr. Brennan, OJ okay. Simpson, hall of fame, hall of fame running back or amazing actor. <laughs> <laughs> Two thousand three yards in twelve games. All of Huge. Fame running back. Hall of Fame running back. True. So all right. Option two, Hall of Fame running back. Mediocre murderer. Alleged. Don't answer. He didn't do it. Alleged for both. He didn't do don't, it. Don't answer that. Don't answer that. Alleged, yeah. <laughs> no, we always joke around. It's uh you know, they're, you know, I'm an Oregon Duck. Fan. I'm an Oregon Duck fan, and uh, the Huskies play the Ducks every year. And whenever the Huskies come to town, we always wear the shirt. You know, Ted Bundy was a Husky. Uh, so it's, just, it's, it's kind of funny. I didn't know. Uh, the, I didn't know the West guys, Coast guys, were so morbid at times. <laughs> we, I, Bob, okay, we go for the jug. We go for the jugular job. Just East Coast guys just throw uh, snowballs at Santa Claus. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's we go for the juggler here, though. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Better receiver, 
Andre Reed or Steve Largent? Uh, I, I do wish to remain friends with you, so I'll have to say Steve Largent. That is the correct answer. Wow. Well done, Joe. Nice job, too. I mean, Steve Largent, you know, had to, had to deal with, you know, you know, a lot of those Raiders, you know, guys, uh, just, you know, who would just, you know, punch you on, you know, you know, I don't, I don't, there's no video of Andre Reed, you know, getting teeth knocked out across the middle. Take, you know, taking your head uh, off was a whole different era for yeah. receivers back. That's for sure. Yep. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, Andre, definitely Andre Reed's pretty good too, but uh, yeah. And uh, I, you know, it's kind of funny, you know, I jotted down here kind of, you know, OJ getting traded to the 49ers at some point, which uh, has got to be tough. I, you know, because I remember in 2005 when Sean Alexander, you know, was the reigning, you know, MVP, you know, of the NFL. You know, one of the few times a running back has been an MVP. It's uh, I have a cousin who's a huge football fan, and he's like, Seattle's got to trade that guy. I'm like, you don't trade the reigning MVP. What are you talking about? He goes, no, no, no. Running backs typically hit about, you know, this many yards, this many years, and then they start to go downhill. He's like, Alexander has one, maybe two years left in him now. If they trade them right now, they could probably get one or two first-round draft choices and maybe some other stuff. you gotta, you got to lose that guy. Everybody's like, no way. And the next year, Alexander comes out and hurts himself, uh, misses half the year, and the year after that, he's really hurt, and he gets traded to the Redskins for like a seventh-round draft choice. And I just remember shaking my head going, wow. You know, yeah, running backs do take a pounding. And I remember I kind of uh, with – I remember when OJ was with the Bills and his career was winding down, and I remember saying to myself, how will the Bills ever survive, will they ever go on without OJ Simpson? Yep. I mean, that's what you think at at that time is that this is the end of the Bills. I mean, it's over. You know, the team's going to fold up when OJ goes. Well, I guess uh, they they kept kept on playing after that. Yep. It happens, but yeah, it was just, it, 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 it was, it, it had to be tough to see him traded out, you know, to see him, him traded to the, you know, to the, uh, you know, to the 49ers, even though he'd been, you know, what, seven, eight, nine years with the bills. I mean, got your use. Out. Yeah. Well, I mean, even the thing about OJ and the bills at that time, even if they were behind, they were still giving the ball to O.J. I mean, they weren't even trying to win the game anymore with Ferguson at quarterback. They just kept handing off. They'd be down 14-17 in the fourth quarter, and they just kept giving the ball to O.J. So, you know, at at that point, you really wanted something more than just O.J. left, O.J. right, O.J. middle punt. So um, it wasn't that hard to to see him go and, and move in another direction. Right. Yeah. What did he? He only played a couple of years in San Francisco before he retired. So. Right. Yeah. It was. It was unforgettable. Well, Joe, we're almost out of time. I I want to thank you for being on tonight and sharing some great stories about the Bills, especially Jack Kemp. Uh, and I'm sure we'll be talking down the road. And thanks for being uh, on tonight. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. It's been a blast. Oh, had a lot of fun. It's been great. Thank you. Buffalo Bills super collector fan, Joe Brennan, 
our guest tonight. Joe, I'm going to hand off to you. We're going to go into our two-minute warning and wrap-up. What you pick up on tonight's show? Uh, classy. I just classy. I I I have very fond memories. I can think back to where I was sitting when uh, when Joe Brennan called me to to ask me about the Mastro shilling. And at the time, you know, the WeeWag scandal was going on. The when it was a game where people were grabbing cards and resealing them. So he brought that up to me too. And then had the class to email me the Joe Orlando depositions, you know, so I could read them over. It, you know, it's where I learned a lot about, you know, the, the grading process. But, uh, you know, I, you I, know, I just, think it's just so important. Imp- go ahead. No, you, it, no you, go for it. it. It's so important to have a mentor in the hobby. I've always said that. And yeah. there's, just, there's just not enough of them. Not enough of them. Yeah. Just cool for him to take the time to call me and to ask me about uh, you know shilling and and tell me about WeeWag. It's just it's reaching out to somebody, and I I'd, I'd been collecting for about five years there, but really you know seriously you know for maybe three or you know four. So it was just it, it was an eye opener. I just I I've always appreciated you know Mr. Brennan taking the time to to give me a call and uh, educate me. So uh, yeah, great. classy. Great story. Great story. Um, and again, like I said, mentoring is very important in any in happy. And I just, I see it sometimes, and I'm 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 happy to see it, but a lot of times I don't see it. And I wish it, it could be. So uh, that's why I like our group VFC because um, you see a lot of mentoring going on. You see a lot of helping uh, yep. younger yep. guys in the hobby getting in, and so on and so forth. So uh, it's important, very important. All right, we're down to almost uh, a minute and a half. Check out our website if you haven't, gridirongreatsmagazine.com. And if you're not a subscriber to Gridiron Greats Magazine, Joe, what are you what waiting, are you waiting for? for? Seriously. Exactly. If you're listening to this podcast and you're not a subscriber, what are you waiting for? You know, I was telling Brenda uh, the, uh, the other night, I'm, I'm just so saddened by the amount of uh, – subscribers who've passed away over the past couple of years. It's, it's oh, wow. kind of shocking to me. It's just uh, really, boy, life is life is quick. That's all I can say. So, uh, again, yeah. I, I, I really felt bad. And uh, seeing Dave pass is, wow. Uh, man, I talked to him probably Original years subscriber. Ago. Yeah. And is that an original subscriber from when you took it over or original subscriber from, you know, going all the way back to Frank? Uh, say that last part again. You cut out. Is that an original subscriber from you yeah, t- when yeah. you took over? An original subscriber? No, 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 from no. Frank? From when uh, from issue one. So he was he was one of the originals. Wow. Yeah. So tough, tough to hear. All right, thirty seconds. We're almost out of time. GridironGreatsMagazine dot com. We got a real special show coming up next week, and uh, we'll be posting Big. that over the next week or so. And it's going to be a great show with uh, some. Very strong hobby specialist uh, who we all know and have talked to in the past. So, Joe, we'll wrap it up tonight. Thanks for listening. GridironGreatsMagazine.com. We'll see you next week. Ba-ba-ba, 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 ba-ba-ba.